Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, December 17th, 2009. There's a lot of stuff I need to talk about. However, I'm not going to be able to get to it all today. I'm just saying, there's certain there's things sitting on my plate right now that I think are very critical to talk about, including some of your emails. And uh, those are going to have to wait until Monday next week. Just want to let you know. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think critically, to help you to think biblically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Um, Have you ever noticed that uh, the fads that seem to run through the church, uh, that uh, they're never any good? You know, it's there's always something seriously wrong with these fads that run through the church. Well, for instance, remember the whole prayer of Jabez thing, how that was just a fad that ran through like wildfire? And it really demonstrated in my mind uh, that uh, there was a supreme lack of in-depth discipleship going on in the churches because people didn't even seem to have enough uh, biblical common sense and discernment to know that that whole thing was just a sham. And then you had the whole purpose-driven uh, the purpose-driven life. Everyone had to go and buy the purpose-driven life. And that was just chock full of Bible twisting uh, on the same kind of order that you would you would see in the uh, from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society or from the Mormon Church. Very, very poorly done by Rick Warren. And I think he set a very terrible example uh, there you know, in regards to how to handle God's Word. Well, the emerging emergent thing was kind of the the rave for a while, and something that's been building as far as its groundswell is concerned, and it's a fad, is is this whole contemplative prayer, uh, pray, prayer steps that you can go through to experience God or hear the voice of God, and uh, unfortunately, there's some guys that I would consider. Orthodox who are dabbling in really what is what I would consider mysticism light, uh, you know, a, a kind of Americanized, pop popularized, uh, fad version of uh, of practices that were developed by Catholic mystics and monks, and so um, you know, and it, my take on it at this point, and uh, I may be wrong, and I might have to modify uh, my opinion. 
is that there are orthodox guys who are engaging what I would consider to, what I would consider to be uh, heteropraxy, bad practice, and uh, the lectio divina and uh, contemplative mysticism fall into that category. And unfortunately, I mean. This this even affects like uh, pastors in the Acts twenty nine network, which uh, you you got guys like Mark Driscoll and uh, his resurgence website that uh, you know is offering very light versions of this mysticism, and it's a fad, and it's it shows a supreme lack of understanding of uh, really the, the basis of the means of grace, and ultimately, um, it's a very subtle denial of sola scriptura. And uh, we'll be talking about that today in the second hour in depth, where our sermon review is uh, is going to be a bad sermon. Ironically, it's uh, it it technically falls under the ghost of Christmas sermons past, but uh, I'm not going to play that uh, that <laughs> the music leading into it. Just that was a complete yeah wash failure. Uh, yeah, it didn't work. So we'll stick with our the good, the bad, the ugly. And so today's uh, Christmas uh, a sermon review is one that technically is from the Ghost of Christmas Sermons Past, and it's entitled uh, Give Peace a Chance, Lectio Divina, and it's from a so-called Protestant church called Twin Lakes Church in Aptos, California. And got to tell you, you know, it, we're, we're going to start picking this thing apart and uh, I get the feeling that I'm going to have to, on a regular basis, come back and uh, demonstrate from Scripture that this is not what we're called to do when it comes to prayer and uh, meditating on the Word of God. This is this is not what the Scriptures mean when it comes to meditating on the Word of God. And there's some claims regarding the Lectio Divina and these contemplative mystical practices uh, that do not square with Scripture. They completely come out of the imagination of uh of men who were uh Roman Catholic monks aesthetics as you know so we'll be talking about that today and of course uh today will be our last installment the final installment on the uh, rebuttal of Mark Hansen and uh and then look at the, the, the I'm trying to figure out the order I want to do things here we're going to do our rebuttal of Mark Hansen and then for you know yesterday we talked about suffering Yesterday we talked about suffering, we talked about persecution, and uh, you know, and so yesterday was really kind of a day that was a more somber version of uh, fighting for the faith because I think it's important that we we take a look at the full spectrum of uh, things that Christ has prepared us for and uh, and and discusses in you know especially in the Gospels, and that is this persecution. As well as this, I you know, contradicting this complete malarkey uh, that's been put out by men like Joel Osteen regarding having your best life now. That's just complete bogus bovine scatology. It's not true, and uh, and so I, I've I've got a brief uh, meditation that was uh, delivered by uh, pa- Pastor Jeremy Rohde of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, that uh, that I want to uh, play for you today. And uh, so it, it's kind of an oddball uh, edition of Fighting for the Faith, if you would. And then we've got news out of Malaysia. There, apparently the highest court in Malaysia is going to have to rule as to whether or not Christians sh- are going to be allowed to use the word Allah in referring to God. Why anyone would want a Christian would want to refer to uh, God as Allah is kind of beyond me. But 
We'll be looking at that. And then, oh, we've got somebody recently had a vision of the Virgin Mary, but refuses to share the message that the Virgin Virgin Mary gave uh, this person. (laughs) We'll be talking about that. And then time permitting, we'll look at uh, the story that I've been holding on to about mainline Protestant churches face a rocky future. And then in hour number two, uh, we're going to be taking we're going to be listening to uh, Pastor Charlie Broxton uh, give a sermon delivered during the Christmas season on the importance of practicing the Lectio Divina. And uh, I want you to hear it. It's it's breathtaking uh, in its ignorance, and it's breathtaking in uh, in what it is that's being promoted and what it promises. And uh, not only that, there's a fine twisting of Scripture in there that uh, we're going to have to take a look at. So make yourself comfortable. If, uh, if you are listening while uh, on your treadmill or exercising, uh, no problem. I, I'm also at the point where I'm trying to lose weight still and not sure if I've gotten past my wall there yet. Working on it, working on it. And um, it, 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 one of the things that happens in weight loss is you plateau. I hit some kind of a plateau and I have been literally just working out like crazy trying to uh, get past that plateau and have not been uh, successful thus far quote breaking through that uh, that barrier at the moment but I feel good and my clothes are kind of fitting weird but that's a different story um of course if you want to enjoy an adult beverage no problem cold weather fuzzy bunny slippers are in order and I you know one of the things I've discovered uh, living here in the northern part of the midwest is um uh, is keeping your feet warm is a crucial part of being able to stay warm. So this is something I've noticed. And then, of course, uh, they're telling us uh, snow over the weekend and uh, probably a white Christmas. So, yay. <laughs> After that last snowstorm, I'm kind of wondering why people want a white Christmas. Uh, snow has a tendency to just kind of snarl everything up, but... Uh, Rolling with it, rolling with it, and people are going, but yeah, Roseburg, you say you want to move to Minnesota. Uh, yeah, I do, and not only is it colder there, they get a lot more snow there. So yeah, consider my current uh, my current place to be um, kind of a halfway house as I, as I uh, consciously decide, decide to move out into uh, less populated areas. I, I, I'm hoping that by the time I'm... In my fifties, that I'll have a uh, a beard the size of Rumpelstiltskin's and uh, and uh, and wearing flannel on a regular basis and uh, and killing my own food. That's what you know. That's something I'm hoping for. So, if you think, oh, what, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Oh, just you know, never mind. It's just part of my insanity. Anyway, so without any further ado, uh, let's dive into our final segment where we're listening to uh, the presiding bishop of the ELCA, Bishop Mark Hansen, from his virtual town hall meeting. And uh, he's going to be asked a question as to where the Bible affirms homosexual relationships. Pay close attention to, uh, to his answer because how long does he take to answer this thing? Um, it's all of four minutes and 30 seconds to answer the question, and he doesn't answer the question. Uh, but uh, I will chime in appropriately and point out some of the more salient points and uh, why it is that the ELCA is in the, is in the quagmire that it's in is because they do not consider God's word to be authoritative and to be the final word. And uh, they're mixing cultural views, cultural ideas with the Bible. They've been doing that for a long time now. And uh, that's when, when you marry God's word to something else, 
you lose God's word because God will not have his word be shared with another competing ideology. But anyway, here is a, a question for Bishop Mark Hansen. An online question from Ron Huber in Ankeny, Iowa. Where is there anything other than rejection of homosexual conduct within the Bible? Aside from the grand generality of, quote, love thy neighbor, where is the specific acceptance of homosexuality? Now, let me answer the question for Bishop Hansen. Uh, the answer is nowhere. That That's the correct answer to the question. Nowhere in the Bible is homosexuality, uh, homosexual relationships, homosexual uh, intercourse, anything having to do with homosexuality, is it ever praised? In fact, in many and various passages, it is outright condemned, plain and simple. That's the answer to the question, by the way. But let's see what Mark Hansen does. Well, uh, the question beckons us into a conversation that I think... Oh, no, it doesn't. It beckons us to look at God's word and to hold and guard God's word and to obey it. I think we need to continue to be having in this church. And my my fear is, as the Evangelical Church in America, we're missing a marvelous moment that we now have to bear witness to one another and to those who are watching us expecting a division because that's the lens through which questions of human sexuality and homosexuality are being defined culturally and in the church beyond us. Okay, listen, did you hear that? Because that's how uh, the questions of homosexuality are being defined and discussed in the culture beyond us. That's the problem with liberals. They have no confidence in the Word of God. They have been they have been engaging in higher criticism literally for centuries. As a result of it, they do not trust the Bible. They do not believe the Bible is inerrant. They do not hold the same view of Scripture that Jesus holds. And as a result of it, what happens is is that as the uh, as the culture blows this way and then blows that way, what they do is they lick their finger. <laughs> And they stick it up into the air, and they see which way the pre- uh, prevalent cultural winds are blowing, and they go that way. They first move in that direction, and then open up the Bible to somehow kind of sort of see if they can baptize it. And what have they done? They've reduced. They, they've they're engaging in what's called gospel reductionism, where the gospel alone seems to be the only thing that that, that has any significance whatsoever. Uh, not the law, not what God's word has said, and uh, and and as a result of it, what? How are they defining the gospel? By the way, love your neighbor, love God. By the way, that's not the gospel; that is the law. And so, listen, loving our neighbor according to the way Scripture defines it means calling them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name regardless of what sins or pet sins or besetting sins that people are uh, enjoying, engaging in, um, are, are guilty of committing, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's a heterosexual adultery. Doesn't matter if it has nothing to do with sex. If it's uh, grand theft or larceny or... Uh, coveting or or gossiping, all of these things are sins, and and you know the church is to prophetically preach the law, to condemn all sinners of all of uh, of their sins and call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, plain and simple. And the culture doesn't get a vote. 
the culture is not allowed to have a seat at the table in the church and have any say whatsoever when it comes to doctrine and what is and what isn't a sin. Culture doesn't get a vote. The problem with liberals is they have no confidence in the word of God. As a result of it, they've allowed the culture to have a seat at the table and and have a voting, basically a voting position within the church. And I would even say veto position. The culture has the ability to veto what God's word says because they don't trust God's word. Of course, it begs the question, why are they even calling themselves a church at all? And why do they even read the Bible at all if you're not going to believe it? We continue. We have a moment to say, let us tell you how we understand the word of God. We understand the Word of God as God's living address to humankind, first and foremost incarnate in Jesus the Christ. We understand the Word of God as the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is proclaimed as law and gospel. And we now, he's, he's using Lutheran terminology here, but keep in mind, just because he's using throwing out those buzzwords doesn't mean that he actually defines those words uh, the way they should be defined. They've, liberals are notorious for taking words, emptying of them of their true meaning, and then pouring in whatever meaning they want into those words. And, and so they throw around words that sound biblical, sound gospelish, sound Christian, but they've redefined them in such a way that they're not. They understand the Word of God as the word recorded in Scripture. And so the question gets into how then do we read the scriptures? Uh, real simple, uh, historically, grammatically, God inspired the very words, and God, the, the the words inspired by God say that if a man um, lies with another man as they he would a woman, that is an abomination. Or another passage that says that. Uh, those who are guilty of committing, uh, those who are homosexual offenders will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's plain and simple. I mean, it, 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 listen, Christ calls us to childlike faith. Childlike faith, real simple, okay? Childlike faith basically means you, it, it, like a child, you trust the word of God. I trust Jesus. I trust, I trust what he's, what, I trust his view. I trust what he did. I can trust him because he rose from the dead. I dare not have a more complicated view of, of Scripture than this simple childlike view. Words mean things, and the Bible was written to convey uh, concepts, ideas, doctrines, uh, history, and it's all accurate, all inspired by God, and, and you don't need to play any of these word games. Just believe it. My fear is that we are falling into a differentiation and separation of the church around some read the scriptures and some don't. Some love the scriptures and some don't. I think you can't say you love the scriptures when you attack it, malign it, tear it down, and then deny what it says. That, plain and simple, okay? I mean, this is passive aggressive. You know, maybe I don't know what that word means. Isn't passive aggressive where you, you know, you you say you're going to do something, you say you love somebody, you say you do, and then and then when they're not looking, you stab them in the back, kick them while they're down, uh, plot their demise. 
Bishop Hansen can say that he loves the scriptures all they want. And all the people in the ELCA who are in favor of ordaining homosexuals, uh, uh, they can say they love the scripture all they want, but that's just passive aggressive behavior. That's lip service. Their actions by what they're doing show that they don't love the word of God. They hate it. They want to overthrow it. They can't stand what it says. They think it's too restrictive. They think it's backwards. They think it's in this modern, postmodern culture, we shouldn't be bound by such things as the, these ancient writers who didn't even understand the concept of, of, uh, uh, you know, of somebody being born a homosexual and, and their narrow and limiting views. And so we, we've got to get rid of the word of God and tear. And, and by the way, I've seen this done in person. I've attended emergent uh conversations i've i've attended emergent conferences and part of their conferences involve indoctrinating people into distrusting and tearing down the bible plain and simple you can't proclaim the bible while tearing it down you can't say you love the scriptures while attacking it and denying it and subverting it and not and and doing everything you can to twist its meaning into something that it doesn't say I think the one who wrote this question loves the scriptures as I love the scriptures, as those folks that love the scriptures that say, I can't get to where this church seems to have gone in response to homosexuality, and the congregation that is rejoicing because it loves scripture and says, now we have the possibility of a person who is gay or lesbian in a committed lifelong relationship to serve as our pastor. You can't love the scriptures and want to have a practicing, unrepentant homosexual as your pastor. Sorry, that's like saying, I believe in flaming snowflakes. I mean, seriously, that would be, I mean, if you, if you, if words have no meanings at this point, that's like saying that, you know, we've got snow forecasted for the weekend. We better get the fire department ready because there's going to be a whole slew of forest fires. Words have no meaning here. You can't say you love the scriptures and want to have a practicing homosexual as your pastor. Mutually exclusive. You hate God's word. You deny God's word. You're attacking God's word. You're attacking God himself. You are unrepentant. And I would even say, argue there's probably good evidence that you're unregenerate. You need to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins for this utter wickedness and utter wicked false doctrine and false teaching that would subvert and deny the clear teaching of the Word of God. And so the question isn't, do some love the Scriptures or not, but how do we read the Scriptures? And first and foremost, we read the Scriptures evangelically as Lutherans. We read the Bible open to the Holy Spirit, bringing us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this sounds all churchy and stuff here, but this is, again, this is blasphemy. He's covering himself in biblical salvation language while at the same time promoting and defending subterfuge that makes it possible for a congregation in their, in their synod to call a practicing unrepentant homosexual as a pastor. This is just blasphemy. John ends his gospel, these things are written so that you might believe in Jesus Christ. Luke ends his gospel with Jesus saying to his disciples, 
You don't want to know how to understand the law and the prophets and everything in the scriptures? Well, it's through my death and resurrection. Right. And what was Jesus doing on the cross? Was he was he not dying for the sins of homosexuals? Of course he was. The job of the church is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to homosexuals every bit as much as, uh, as, as sinning uh, heterosexuals. Christ loves homosexuals so much so that he died for their sins. And once you've realized that, your purpose is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that's my line, Mark. But see, the thing is, is that when you say it, it completely rings hollow because you have unrepentant practicing homosexuals who deny and attack and impugn the very clear teaching of the word of God. And, and, and they're supposed to be calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And yet they're unrepentant themselves. Isn't that what Jesus referred to as the blind leading the blind? So now back to the question, when we come to the question of how we read the Bible, in response to homosexuality or in response to the place of gay and lesbian people in our life and ministries, let's bring the question, how do we read the Bible to the text that the questioner referenced? Notice he still has not answered the question. But to the text that others turn to, to lead them to say, but you know, the questions of homosexual orientation that I hear asked and the understanding we have of homosexuality today. There it is again. And the understanding that we have of homosexuality today. See, they've stuck their finger into the wind of the culture and go, oh, wow, the wind's blowing this way. Let's go that way. And we'll, we'll figure out the, the Bible later. Not how you do it. Not only that, there's just a simple, clear hermeneutical principle that comes into play here. Clear passages govern. Okay. Over the, if you listen to Fighting for the Faith, there's there's a few hermeneutical uh, principles that I constantly refer to. One of them is context, 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 uh, especially when li listening to a seeker-driven or purpose-driven pastor uh, quote the Bible. Uh, they are constantly tearing it out of context and making it say things that it doesn't. So that rule kind of clears that up. Another important one is is that clear passages govern unclear passages. Now, here's the deal. There is complete, uh, complete uh, unanimity. Uh, there, there's a complete, uh, how do I put this, uh, unifying thought here in Scripture. All of the Scriptures regarding homosexuality agree. There's, in fact, there is not one passage regarding homosexuality that is ambiguous or vague as to whether or not it's a sin or not. Every single passage of Scripture that mentions homosexuality, it is mentioned as a sin, an abomination, something that keeps you out of the kingdom of God, uh, keeps you, you know, that, that uh, is a rebellion against God. It's a bad thing. You know, the, the, the scriptures could not be clearer, okay? There are no vague passages. And so here's the deal. Clear passages on a subject govern. So what we can, the, the verses that he's referring to where people say, well, we need to look at the passage that these other people look at and see how they are, they are, they are reading, loving the scriptures in such a way that they, they, they now are rejoicing at the freedom to call a, a practicing uh, partnered homosexual. Well, here's the problem. Uh, they, they subvert and suppress 
and refuse to look at the clear passages regarding homosexuality, and they wipe them off the table, and then they say, see, the Bible says love your neighbor. Ah, okay, yes, the Bible does say love your neighbor. But we have to look at what the scriptures mean when it says loving your neighbor. Part of loving your neighbor, clearly based upon the life of Jesus Christ, and I would even say John the Baptist if you want to throw in somebody else, is calling people to repent of their sins. Okay, so the way we love our homosexual neighbors is to call them to the repent to repentance of their homosexual wickedness, which the Bible clearly says is unnatural and not the way God intended us to be made. Uh, to you know, it did not make us to be homosexuals. If you if you don't believe me, I mean seriously. Um, the, the, the argument from nature just goes as simple as this. You got a garden hose. Yep. Y'all, y'all who live in houses, you have garden hoses. I mean, I've got a couple of garden hoses and, uh, they've got a male and a female end real simple. And here's the deal is that, uh, the, the spigot, you know, that you hook the garden hose up to that has a male, uh, 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 ending. And in order to hook up the garden hose, I've got to hook up the female ending. Okay. The male, male to male never works in a garden hose. They were, in fact, by nature, it is intended that way. It won't work. Same with God. And when you look at Romans chapter one, it is so clear that uh, those who are engaging in homosexual uh, uh, behavior, that it is contrary to the very nature that God created them to be. I mean, could you imagine if the sun decided that it's tired of being the sun and it just wanted to be the moon instead? You know, and, it's, and it gave up giving off light because it, 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 it was sick and tired of being a sun by nature or a star by nature and instead really wanted to be more like Jupiter or a moon or something like that. And we'd all be in a lot of trouble. Notice that the other things that God has made, they don't rebel against uh, against <laughs> the way God made them and what he made them to do. Male to male doesn't work. Female to female doesn't work. Okay, look at the plumbing. That plumbing was designed. Okay, it's unnatural and it's sinful. That's the argument from Scripture, and it couldn't be clear. So loving our neighbor then means calling them to repentance of this rebellion against God, this behavior that that contradicts how they were made, and call them to receiving the forgiveness of sins because Christ died on the cross for these sins. Christ loves them so much so that he died for them. Died for you, died for me. We continue. Does not seem to be reflected at all in the context of the biblical writers. So let us bring our understanding of sexual orientation that has been opened up to humankind over... No, we don't bring our new understanding of sexual orientation that's been opened up to humankind. Sorry. Uh, we judge that, quote, new understanding of homosexuality according to the scripture, plain and simple. That doesn't get a seat at the table. For the years to this conversation, my plea is we now do not move into conversations of like-minded people around homosexuality and human sexuality, but we step into engaging one another. Let's not let this moment in our church become the occasion when the Bible becomes a wall that divides us. Rather, let it be on... Uh, No, the Bible needs to divide at this point because you have abandoned the teaching of Scripture 
Therefore, we have to call you to account, call you to repentance, and and point out the fact that through your uh, rebellion against God's word, you, liberals, are dividing the body of Christ. Not those who've stuck to the word, who continue to hold steadfast to the view of Scripture that Jesus Christ has. Those people aren't the ones responsible for dividing the church. It's you, liberals, who are bringing into the conversation what the culture thinks. Culture, No, we're to speak prophetically to the culture, and the culture doesn't get a vote when it comes to doctrine and morals. On the table that it beckons us into conversation with one another, listening to the word and listening to one another as we hear the word speaking to us and through us. This moment is a chance to bear witness to what it means to hear the word as law and gospel and bring us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Complete blasphemous subterfuge. He didn't answer the question. Stay in the conversation, church. God is still speaking to us and through us. Uh, Mark, answer the question and stick to what the scripture says. It's obvious that you're not qualified anymore to be a churchman. You've been disqualified because you will not bend the knee to God's word. Plain and simple. All right, we are up on our first break. When we come back, um, I'm going to play a very, very short 10-minute meditation, if you would, on suffering. I think it's uh, very appropriate in light of uh, what yesterday's program was, and I'm very excited to play this uh, for you uh, from Pastor Jeremy Rohde of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, and uh, and then after that, we'll do whatever we'll do some news stories based upon what time we have. And then hour number two, this is one you do not want to miss. We're going to be listening to a, a Christmas time sermon on the, the Lectio Divina. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at this because uh, we've got monastic Catholic, Roman Catholic monks who've developed the Selectio Divina, this this mystical practice developed uh, by the Desert Fathers and these monks is now the, the, the fad du jour of, in uh, American evangelicalism. And we need to take a listen to it, take a look at it, what, what's being said about it, and compare uh, the claims regarding this practice to the clear teaching of the Word of God. So you don't want to miss that. That is going to be in our number two today. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there again, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> we don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's... Python's Flying Circus Church. 
Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. What else? You out there! For to experience the presence of God if you are using a jackhammer. Shut up! Definitely sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry. Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no sense, no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. 
Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. If you think that you can climb a fourfold ladder to heaven, then this program will actually take that thing right out from under you and unfortunately cause you to land in an unsanctimonious way upon your backside. Just want to say that. All right, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial gifts and contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Currently, we need another 700 people to join our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. In other words, <clears throat> we're just about at the 300 mark, and uh, we've still got a long way to go. And it's actually very, very vital, vital that uh, we achieve our goal of 1,000 uh, listeners who've joined the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. And as we approach the end of the year, this is a fantastic time for you to do so keep in mind it's a mere six dollars and 95 cents a month and it goes to pay our bills and to make it so we can budget our expenses so that we continue to bring fighting for the faith pirate christian radio to you as to well as well as to the world you can join our crew by visiting fightingforthefaith.com click on the join our crew button and uh, fill that out and that as soon as that is processed right there on the on that screen you will see a button that says uh, click here to uh, access our Pirate Christian Cove. Click on that, and you'll get the information you need in order to, to access our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove, which is a growing treasure trove of theological resources designed to help you grow in biblical doc doctrine, sound theology, and Christian apologetics. Fine stuff that we've got there. And like I said, we are just on the verge now of putting a, a whole, adding a truckload of stuff uh, to that to the cove so stay tuned those of you who are uh, who are members of the cove and of course if you'd like to donate above and beyond that you can do so by clicking the donate button or making your gift payable to fighting for the faith and sending it to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 all right yesterday was uh, kind of a downer program <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess that's one way of putting it. Uh, well, the reason why it, it just it, it, I thought yesterday would, in light of the news of Matt Chandler and a, a bunch of the stories that I've been collecting on uh, the persecution that uh, our Christian brothers and sisters are facing around the world. And I mean, it's and even so, even as close as the United Kingdom, and I think as the UK goes, the United States goes too. Um, you know, it's. I think it's important to keep in mind that Christianity does not promise you to have your best life now, and to remind you of our Lord's words and even of the examples uh, that the apostles left us of uh, of trusting in Christ through suffering, through persecution, through tough circumstances. And uh, and so with that in mind, here is a brief meditation delivered by the Reverend Jeremy Rohde, uh regarding John the Baptist and suffering that I think is a it, it provides a good counterbalance to some of the stuff that we've been hearing lately. So uh, without any further ado, here is uh, Jeremy Rohde. Our Lord Jesus came first to visit John the Baptist when both of them were still in their mother's wombs. A curious pastoral visit, to be sure. But Jesus in Mary's womb and John in Elizabeth's womb. But a visit from Jesus. In fact, it was just the sound of Mary's voice. And John was leaping in his mother's womb for joy. For Jesus and John, it was true. They knew each other before they were even born. And as John, the forerunner, first met Jesus, the Messiah, Elizabeth was blessing, Mary was singing, and everything was good. The people rejoiced. But to say that those were simpler and happier times would be an understatement. Fast forward about three decades and things are a lot less happy and a lot more complicated John is no longer safe and joyful in the womb of the woman who gave him life. John is in the cold, scary prison of a woman who will end up taking his life, hatefully spilling his faithful blood. And Jesus, who was adored by the shepherds at his birth and worshipped by the wise men in his youth, now finds himself in the midst of a fickle crowd that loves him for all the wrong reasons and otherwise doesn't have much love for him at all. Can this really be the kingdom of God? Among those born of women, there is none who is greater than John. But now in the prison of this least of all women, John sits and rots. The greatest prophet who ever lived Silenced in prison. What a waste. And it's only a little bit better for Jesus, and only a little bit better right now, for you know how this story ends. Jesus is supposed to be the Messiah, the anointed of God, but he is despised by God's priests, by the religious leaders, and he's just a little bit of side entertainment to God's people. Can this really be the kingdom of God. And what about the elderly Christian man who prays fervently, who is locked in the prison of a debilitating disease? And what about the elderly woman who loves people dearly, 
but is locked in a prison of loneliness. Is this too the kingdom of God? What about the believing man who is going to lose his job because he won't sell out and do the wicked thing? And what about the believing woman who tries to show the love of God to her family and for this very reason is despised by them? Is this too the kingdom of God? And what about Christian children who are mocked for their faith and belittled at school in front of their teachers and peers? And what about John being locked in prison? Is this really the kingdom of God? In some small way, we all know exactly how John was feeling. Every one of us has asked the questions that John was asking. Can this really be the kingdom? Can this really be the way? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Are you, Lord Jesus, the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Jesus answers with a word of Scripture and by showing that He is the fulfillment of this Scripture. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good, pre- good news preached to them. And Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by Me. For John, those last words must have felt like they were aimed straight at his heart. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John was suffering. His Lord knew it. Others, others were receiving their sight. And others were having miracles done to them. Others were walking and hearing for the first time. But John was trapped in a prison from which there was no escape. Others were being helped. Others were being healed. But not John. So John cries out to his Lord, what shall I do? And Jesus tells John not what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who keeps his faith even in suffering. Blessed is the one who is faithful even unto death, for I shall give him the crown of life. Blessed is the one who clings to Jesus despite everything he feels and experiences, despite that which his eyes see. Blessed is the one, Jesus says, who is not offended by me. So John heard this word of the Lord, and he was not offended. And he went on in faithfulness and suffering. And finally, this man named John, who had known Jesus before they were even born, went to his death in faith, faithful to his lifelong friend and Lord. And so even in death, John is the forerunner of Christ, having his own blood shed by wicked hands. This, too, is why Christ had come. This, too, is the way of Christ, to have His holy blood shed by wicked hands, that He might take away the wickedness of the world.
that the people might have again a merciful God, that the people again might rejoice. John walked the way of Jesus, for the way of Jesus is the way of trial and suffering. The way of Jesus is to pray, let this cup pass from me, but when it does not, to suffer in faith. Can this really be the kingdom of God? The king's citizens suffer. The king's herald is beheaded. The king himself has his head bowed in death upon the cross as his royal blood seeps into the earth. Can this really be the kingdom of God? Blessed is the one, Jesus says, who is not offended by me. For this is how I make the blind to see the light of God's love and the many colors of God's mercy. This is how I make the lame to walk. I forgive their sins and tell them, rise, take up your mat and follow me. This is the way I cleanse the lepers, cleanse the sinners, make the unclean clean. This is the way I make the deaf to hear that there is so much more than this broken world. This is how the dead are raised when I return. And this is the good news that the poor have preached to them, the forgiveness of their sins, a new heaven and a new earth. Be not offended at your sufferings, for I have suffered too. Be not offended at my wounds, which I have suffered to give you eternal life. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the cross right now. It is a kingdom of blood. But soon enough, it will be the kingdom of God's glory, and his glory will shine upon you for eternity. The victory has already been won. Christ has left the tomb, and we too shall leave our graves. And soon, soon again, Elizabeth will be blessing, Mary will be singing, and the young will be leaping. For when Jesus visits his people, everything again is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. <laughs> yeah, preach that at uh, Willow Creek. And that, uh, wow, that was so good. And I think that just perfectly, perfectly points us in the right direction. Because I can promise you this on this side of the resurrection, on this side of. Christ's return. The life of a Christian is one of suffering, persecution, bad health, and ultimately your old sinful nature is going to give out and die. And it's our Jesus who gets us through because in our baptisms we are baptized into Christ's death and into his resurrection. He has overcome sin, death, and the devil and the grave. And we are in him. What a perfect thing to point us to. And like I said, uh, I think that's the perfect way of uh, kind of framing uh, 
yesterday's program and, you know, leaving off, if you would. All right, we're going to switch gears real quick here and um, do a little bit of uh, news before we uh, go into our second break and then into our sermon review. So, from the Christian Post... This is by Aaron Leakman. The headline reads, Malaysian High Court to Rule on Christian Allah Case. Apparently they're going to make a decision on December 30th. Malaysian's High Court has set December 30th as the date that it will rule on a case contesting whether the government of the predominantly Muslim country can bar Christian groups from referring to God as Allah. Now, from what I understand, and I, I, I'm open to correction here, but from what I understand, uh, the name uh, the Allah is not a proper name. It's uh, I think it's Arabic for God. Just you know, so you know, if you were to translate the English word God into Arabic, it would come out Allah. Not that so Allah is not a proper name when we're talking about deities. So anyway. I think it's interesting that this is that somehow the Malaysian government is getting involved here. Court Justice Lau Bin Lan set the date after hearing lengthy arguments this week from lawyers representing the two sides, the government and the weekly publication of the Catholic Church of Malaysia. While the Catholic Church maintains that the word Allah is not exclusive to Islam, the government has argued otherwise, saying that it is not only exclusive, but that its usage by non-Muslims could pose a threat to national security and cause misunderstanding and confusion among Muslims. Do they speak Arabic there in uh, in Malaysia? I, I don't think so. I know that they have a high Muslim population, but this is interesting. Uh, it, quote, in our country, if one refers to Allah or mentions Kalma Allah, it will bring to one's mind that it refers to the God of uh, for Muslims. Kalama Allah is sacred to the Muslims and and put at the highest position, and its sanctity must be protected. Senior Federal Counsel Datuk Kamaluddin said Monday, according to local sources. Furthermore, Kamaluddin added, the church cannot challenge the home minister's decision to impose a condition on the permit sought by the church's weekly publication, The Herald. Quote, you can only challenge if the minister refused to grant a permit, he stated. The Herald had filed suit against the Malaysian government in December 2007 after the government threatened to revoke its printing permit if it did not cease to use the word Allah in in the Malay language section of the newspaper. Under the Printing Presses and Publication Act of 1984, Malaysia's home minister has the power to impose a prohibition as a condition, and in the case of the Herald Home Minister, Datuk Seri Sayed Hamid Al-Bar, that's one whopper of a name, reportedly prohibited the usage of the word Allah on the grounds of national security to avoid misunderstanding and confusing among Muslims. Now, just can I point something out here? So this is a, this is an argument, a court case between uh, the Malaysian government and the Roman Catholic Church, which kind of begs the question, okay? Now, listen, I understand that Allah is just a generic term for God. But this kind of leads to, uh, you know, uh, the Malaysian government is saying, listen, 
we want to make sure that we, you know, that when you religions are talking about yourselves, that you're doing so in a way that we know you're talking about yourself and you're Catholic and not some kind of hybrid thing of, of Roman Catholicism and Islam. They want their, they want their religions to be distinct. I, I get that. My question would be, why would, um, the Roman Catholic Church, and maybe this is a loaded question. Um, in fact, it is a loaded question. I, I gotta rephrase this. Um, it, yes, yeah, cause, yeah, by the way, a loaded question is a form of a logical fallacy where the answer to the question is assumed in the question itself. The, what I was gonna ask is why does the, the Roman Catholic Church want to confuse uh, its religion with Islam. Now, see, that's a loaded question, and it was an unfair question. That's why I kind of corrected myself. But I pointed it out just so you can know what it is. But uh, it, it leads to the que- the right way of, of asking the question is, does the Roman Catholic Church in Malaysia want there to be confusion between Roman Catholicism and Islam? Is this part of a... Um, an effort on their part to reach out to Muslims in in in, in a, um, an evangelistic way that's kind of subversive. You know, I I just I don't understand the uh, I don't understand the motive here. Um, is this really just about freedom of speech? And it's obviously they don't have freedom of speech because you have to get a permit in order to get a publication printed there in Malaysia. And so, um, you know, it's just. It makes me wonder. I mean, personally, personally, I would not want my religion confused with Islam for one second. In fact, I always uh, take umbrage uh, at uh, those groups that compare, quote, fundamentalist Christians with fundamentalist uh, extremist uh, Muslims. Yeah. As if Christianity is calling for jihad and, uh, and calling for... The world to repent at the end of a sword, a machete, or a machine gun, or an improvised explosive device. All right, uh, from the Inquirer.net, uh, we read: uh, Visionary won't share Virgin Mary's message. So this is by Bismi M. Carballo. Uh, it uh, Batulao, uh, Batangas, Philippines. This is where this is taking place. It was a heartbreaking 60th birthday for Visionary Emma de Guzman. When in the early morning of Tuesday, December 8th, she chose not to deliver the message from the Virgin Mary, unlike so many other times in the past. Oh, man, what what is the Virgin Mary? I mean, uh, I, uh, Virgin Mary better get uh, get busy and show up on a tortilla somewhere and talk to somebody. I mean, this woman's refusing to uh, to convey the messages of the Virgin Mary to the masses. Close to 5,000 pilgrims joined in the trek up the mountain of salvation in Batulao to some observers, possibly the biggest delegation to join in the prayers in support of the apparition of the Blessed Virgin Virgin to Emma. Notice how these apparitions always point people away from Christ, away from Christ and him crucified. And so now we've got this woman who's claiming that she's getting messages from the Virgin Mary herself. And uh, what? And, and we got 5,000 pilgrims climbing a mountain so that they can hear messages from the Virgin Mary from this woman named Emma. Uh, where's Jesus? You see, this is, by the way, this is how Satan works. Satan wants to get your eyes off of Christ. He wants to get your eyes onto something else, anything else. You... Uh, religious experiences, your sanctification, your changed life, the Virgin Mary, 
uh, toking the Holy Ghost, uh, taking bong hits off the baby Jesus, whatever. The, Satan does not want you focusing in on Christ and him crucified for your sins. Let me continue. Emma's journey from the plain overseas Filipino uh, nanny to in Canada to a visionary exhibiting mystical phenomena like the stigmata by location. That sounds painful. Uh, levitation and the gift of healing and, uh, unexp- and the unexplainable ability to write in ancient Greek and most popular uh, and the most popular manifestation glitters or e- e- escarachas on her face. She's been hanging out with the the extreme prophetic people. Her her simple, untutored ways, coupled with extraordinary faculties, gain her hordes of foreign followers from La Pieta International Group uh, Prayer Group from Canada, the United States, some European countries where she was better known uh, than in her own hometown. And in 2004, Emma came to the Mountain of Salvation to share her vision with her countrymen and has been coming twice yearly on September 8th and December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. A uh, message for Filipinos, the, follower, the followers grew from 300 to 1,000 with devotees praying the rosary and hearing the Mass from noon until midnight uh, when the Virgin would normally appear to Emma and leave her with a message for the Filipino people. Throughout the years, the message has always stressed that God had chosen the Philippines to carry on the evangelism in Asia, being the only Christian nation in the region. And last September, Emma reported that the Virgin told her that God loves the Filipinos and will protect the country from all its problems. Uh, there was a statement that something will occur in 2010, generally interpreted as, the ele- as election-related, but from 2011 to 2016, the country will experience great prosperity. That's the thing about false prophets. They never tell you bad things are going to happen. Tuesday started uh, encouragingly. The weather was dry and balmy, unlike her last visit in September, which was muddy and stormy. Seven priests led by Bishop Ramon Aguelas of Lipa and uh, uh, Friar or uh, Father Dennis Paez said mass. Familiar supporters like Bill Poti, Brenda Padilla, uh, Andrea Limpo and Rika Limbayako and Danny and Gigi Rodriguez, Ar- Ariana Angalio, whoever all these people, I don't even know who these are. And a busload of pilgrims from Guam attended the vigil. When the glitters started appearing on Emma's face, a signal for the apparition, Emma began sobbing loudly and bitterly. And after a few minutes, Father Paez announced that Emma was not ready to share the message of the Virgin and then it was time for the pilgrims to leave the premises. Nothing like this has happened in the past. As the pilgrims trekked down the hill at 2.30 in the morning, they knew in their hearts that God was angry about the Manguiandiao travesty, whatever that is. And it was sad. It was a sad day for Emma and the Filipino people. Yeah, I agree. That was definitely a sad day. You know why? Uh, because she's not actually getting um, communiques inside uh, messages from the Virgin Mary. Nope, not, no, no way, no way, Jose. Um, and praying to the Virgin Mary? No, 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 no. We have, there's one mediator between God and men, and that is Jesus Christ. So what do we make of all this stuff? We pray for these people who are uh, who are deceived and blinded by the deceiving and lying work of the devil, and their eyes are off of Christ, they're off of his his death on the cross for their sins, 
and obviously the, the 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 it's clear that God is angry at the Filipino people now. No, it's not. God has a great message to share with the Filipino people, and that message is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. Repent and believe the good news, for all who believe in him are no longer under the wrath of God, but are adopted children of God. Sad, sad, sad. All right, we are up on our second break, and when we come back, it'll be sermon review time, and we will be reviewing a sermon that discusses that ever-so-popular fad du jour known as contemplative uh, spirituality, a.k.a. Uh, the Lectio Divina. So you definitely do not want to miss this. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That is facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack, or their cheese great gift basket, or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man after you've clicked on that link goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, straight ahead. 
Yeah, that story about the mainline Protestant churches facing a rocky future. Yeah, I'm going to have to hang on to that one. In fact, I'm sitting on a bunch of stuff right now. Oh. Heresy season. It's always so busy. All right, we're going to just dive right into our sermon review here. Hold up as I cue up the music. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. And today's uh, sermon uh, technically falls under the category of the ghost of Christmas sermons past. It's entitled, Give Peace a Chance. Lectio Divina. It's preached by Charlie Broxton, Twin Lakes Church, Aptos, California. Now we got a problem. Uh, one of the major fads that's running through the churches right now is contemplative mysticism, the spiritual disciplines, the Lectio Divina. Hey, here's the problem. Okay, all of these things promise that if you do them, then you will experience God or hear God's voice. Can you hear me saying law, law, law? Well, furthermore, let me add to this. Nowhere in the scriptures is the Lectio Divina taught. Nowhere in scriptures is there a ladder or a steps described that you can perform whereby you can ascend into the very throne room of God. And yet in today's sermon, you're going to hear Pastor Charlie Broxton speak that way about the Lectio Divina. Wish I was making it up, and I'm not. And the problem is, is that there's a lot of people out there that it's the really in vogue thing right now to do, thanks to guys like Rob Bell and the emergent leaders, uh, to take these ancient mysticism practices that were really adopted and well not well adopted is the right way of putting it adopted by the uh, Roman Catholic aesthetics the monks uh, the desert fathers I think they learned I think the de desert fathers were uh, influenced by Buddhists personally I may be wrong but you get what I'm saying this is not biblical stuff that we're dealing with so let me kill the music, and uh, without any further ado, here is our sermon today from Twin Lakes Church in Aptos, California. Give peace a chance, Lectio Divina. Right now, and I want to throw up, sorry. One of the things I miss the most about foods with gluten in it, and you're going to think I have no taste in food whatsoever here, is the Big Mac. There's a picture of it. That picture, for me, I look at it longingly with drool coming down my face and with a desire in my eyes. That's an explicit picture for me that causes me to stumble because that's forbidden love. I loved Big Macs. Andy Lewis and I, who used to be the pastor of Genesis, now the pastor of Faith Community, once every other week would sneak down to McDonald's and have a number one meal, supersized. The only part of that meal I can eat now is a Diet Coke. I can't have the Big Mac. I can't have the fries at McDonald's. So this is forbidden love. And some of you are thinking, I mean, this reveals a couple things about me. Some of you are like, one, you have no taste. Partially true. Two, <laughs> that you have no self-control. 
partially true also, because I loved Big Macs. It was hard for me to say, no, I'm not going to have it, because I just loved it. I was drawn to McDonald's. The third thing is that I can't wait, like I'm impatient, because you think about Big Mac and McDonald's, it's called fast food for a reason. Why? You get it fast. It comes like this. And and as I was thinking about the Big Mac and my love affair with the Big Mac and having no self-control and not a lot of patience, it brought me to the American culture. Because if you look at our American culture, we are a culture defined by a lack of patience and a lack of self-control. We live in a culture that doesn't value self-control. We think things like, if you, if you see it and you want it, go get it. If it tastes good, eat it. If it feels good, do it. There's no need to hold back whatsoever. None. You just go full force, throw self-control out the window, do it. And then patience. Are we a patient culture? You can get what you want when you want it at any point in time. Overnight delivery, I mean, we're in the Christmas season, and as, as, as we get closer and closer to December 24th, we're going to see things online, and we're going to be like, I need that now. Overnight delivery. I can have it the next day at my doorstep in the morning. Do you remember when Domino's Pizza did their 30 minutes or it's free? Do you remember why they canceled it? Because delivery people were crashing their cars trying to get the pizza there in 30 minutes. Well, there was a Detroit emergency room which took their cue from Domino's and said, you wait 20 minutes or your visit to the ER is free. And there, you know, the people, the percentage of people going there was up by like 30%. She's like, yeah, 20 minute wait, you go to the ER around here, it takes a little bit longer than 20 minutes. We live in a culture that says, I want what I want and I want it now. And then we carry that over into our relationships, and we want, instead of fast food, we want fast intimacy with people, friends, people we're dating, spouses. We go, man, if I can have fast stuff in every other area of my life, when I want it, how I want it, I want it in my relationships. I want fast intimacy. And so we pursue that in our relationships, and then we bring that into our spiritual life, and we want fast intimacy with God. And then we we look at our life when we're not growing in our relationship with God and growing closer to Him and becoming more of what He wants to be, we start getting discouraged and frustrated. We feel unworthy. We feel defective. Like, what's wrong with me? When the reality is what's wrong with us is we bought into this view of fast intimacy with God. Because there's no such thing as fast intimacy with anybody. True intimacy takes time. Okay, now notice the problem that he's presenting at this point is the problem of lack of intimacy and he he, he grounds the problem in our fast-paced culture and now he's he's emphasizing the importance of having intimacy with God. Now listen, I am not against quote having an intimate relationship with God. Keep in mind though that God is the one who dictates how that relationship is to be governed and handled as as far as the intimacy is concerned. We don't get to just make stuff up and then claim that we're having an intimate relationship with God. Let's continue. And effort, and we can't be impatient. It takes self-control because we've got to invest ourselves in that relationship. I'm learning this with my family right now. I had an amazing conversation with my mom and my dad last Friday that is about two years, okay, no, five years in coming. Five years ago, something happened which 
hurt me in my relationship with my parents. And I said something at the time, and I felt like I got a little bit brushed off. It was like, well, I'm sorry. Has anyone ever had this happen where somebody apologizes for your emotions? I'm sorry you feel that way. Well, that's a good apology. Thanks for apologizing for the way I feel. Because I feel really validated right now. So I just went, I'm done. I'm not going to talk about this. And I got mad, and I held a grudge for five years. And it wasn't like this horrible, I'm going to kill you grudge. It was just a sense of, I'm only going to trust you so much and I'm not going to trust the rest of myself with you because you didn't listen. Well, I, I've been more and more convicted as time's gone on. And so I, I came to this place where I started realizing what the issue was for me. And I, I realized I wanted to talk and came up in a conversation with my dad Friday on the phone. And we talked for an hour and a half. And there was a little bit of voice raising going on. And there was a little bit of, I'm sorry you feel that way. And there was me saying, don't apologize for my feelings. We were finally able to establish some common understanding. Called my mom, same thing. Intimacy takes time and effort and self-discipline and patience. And it's not just true in our family settings or our friend settings, our marriage settings. It's true in our relationship with God. This series we're doing is called Give Peace a Chance, and we're looking at how to step out and trade the chaos of Christmas for the true peace of a meaningful relationship with Jesus, because that's what Christmas is all about. God sending His Son for us so that we could have a relationship with him. That's okay, it sounds Christianish so far. Intimacy with God, having, having an intimate relationship. Christmas is all about us having a relationship with God. In, in, a, in a real way, that's correct and absolutely true. Let's see what he does with this, though. It's the gift of Christmas. It's a relationship with God that happens only through Jesus. And we've been looking at disciplines which can bring us closer to God. And today we're going to look at this discipline... Stop. Did you hear that? We've been looking at disciplines that will bring us closer to God. Let me back up the audio just a second or two. Listen carefully. We've been discussing disciplines that will bring us closer to God. Law or gospel. If it's something you have to do in order to become closer to God, this is not gospel. This is law. Back this up ever so carefully. Here we go. For us, so that we could have a relationship with him. That's the gift of Christmas. It's a relationship with God that happens only through Jesus. And we've been looking at disciplines which can bring us closer to God. And today, There you go. We've been looking at disciplines that can bring us closer to God. Now, listen. If you're going to make a claim that you there's a discipline that you can practice that will bring you closer to God, then that discipline and that benefit of that discipline has to be clearly taught in the scriptures, plain and simple. If it's not, this is a man-made tradition. This is a man-made mythology. We continue. And we're going to look at this discipline called the Lectio Divina. Some of you are like, the what? Some of you have heard... Right, the, exact, the reason why they're going, the what? Is because this isn't taught in the scriptures. heard me talk a little bit about this, but we're going to go into detail. It's Latin for sacred or divine reading. And it's a discipline in which it involves praying, reading and internalizing, and then praying the Bible. It's about developing rich intimacy with God. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 10. Okay, now I'm going to point something out ahead of time. Luke 10 does not 
in any way, shape, or form teach the Lectio Divina. Anybody who would tell you that this is a picture of the Lectio Divina is guilty of a very grievous error called eisegesis. This is reading something into the passage that is not there. Now, if you don't believe me, let me, let me I've got a couple of churches that uh, practice the Lectio Divina, and let me, let, let me read from their websites what the Lectio Divina is. The Lectio Divina, this is from the, um, from the Whitworth Community Presbyterian Church, from their website. We read, For centuries, the discipline of Lectio Divina, divine or spiritual reading, has been used as a means to help the truth of Scripture sink into our hearts. Lectio Divina begins in Scripture and ends in prayer and is comprised of four steps. Step number one, listen, read the text out loud reflectively and gent- and at a gentle pace listen for a word or phrase that speaks to you uh, to what god's spirit is drawing your attention to stop and ponder that word or phrase a bit and ask god what is it that you want to say to me right now notice that step one assumes that if you're skimming a passage uh, that the holy spirit is has you at that passage and, and is trying to pop particular words out at you to get your attention because he wants to speak to you directly through that nowhere in the scripture does it say that that's that that's how we are to read scripture with that assumption you need to read your bible for content engaging heart and mind by the way then meditate or reflect this involves an active mind reflecting on where you are in the text use your god-given imagination to join the word with your heart Really, where in the Bible does it say that I can use my imagination to join the word with my heart? doesn't. Picture the scene. Feel the heat. Taste the dust. Feel the sting of rejection or or the lift of hope as Jesus calls your name. Ask, God, what are you saying to me in this phrase? And then you respond. Pray the words which naturally flow from from your time in meditation. This is your response to what you have already seen heard and assimilated it could be anguish repentance joy gratitude or anything ask in what direction am i moving am i moved to pray and then you contemplate here you move from the activity of prayer to the stillness of contemplation a resting in god's presence really um does god promise that his presence is there when i'm doing the lectio divina aside from his omnipresence Remain in peace and stillness before God with the desire to rest in the divine presence. Be receptive to whatever God asks. Ask, God, how are you revealing yourself to me? Okay. So that's an example of the Lectio Divina. Okay, let me read it uh, from another church. Covenant Church. Um, I don't know where these people are. Hang on a second here. Let me just take a look. In uh, West Lafayette, Indiana, okay? Lectio Divina. Read, uh, open your chosen passage, drink in the text, and receive the scripture while listening for a word, phrase, or sentence that catches your attention. Rest a few moments which, with whatever arises, repeating the words silently while pondering them. Rest and silence are important throughout this practice, even when doing in a group setting. Share what word or phrase catches your attention. Why do you think that it does? And then you meditate. 
Read the text again, meditate on the passage, actively engaging with the passage, using your imagination and intellect. Consider what images or questions come to mind around the passage. Consider how this passage might uh, might link to your own life. How is my heart being spoken to this moment? Where does this word intersect my life right now? And then the deep self gets to be touched. Read the passage again, considering the response it calls forth in you. Hopefully this interaction with the word unearths a response to God within you. What? Unearths a response to the God within me? Pray out your interaction with the word that would you like to say, what, what would you like to say to God? Pray about questions you have in regard to the passage and the truths that God has highlighted for you. Read the passages slowly one last time, not to glean further insights, but simply to soak in and rest in the word with the seed of the word sown in your heart you enter a period of silence and rest before the lord sit in silence a minute or two allowing god to complete in you the time you've spent together in this lectio divina practice okay so we we've got two places on the web, and, and this is completely, uh, I mean, this here's the deal. It's a mystical practice anyway. It's not biblical. Uh, and uh, those who develop Lectio Divina talk about the four steps, or the it's a four-step ladder to heaven, into the presence of God. Okay? That's what the Lectio Divina is. That being said, this is not, not what's being taught anywhere in the Scriptures, and especially Luke chapter 10, despite uh, what this pastor, uh, in his imagination, thinks is there. Watch the eisegesis. Here we go. We're actually going to dig into Scripture today. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we're going to have some people wandering to bring you a Bible. So just kind of put your hand up saying that you, you want a Bible. They're, they're around. You're going to want to explore this with us. If you don't have a Bible, take this home with you. It's our gift to you. But we're going to turn to Luke 10. Because in Luke 10, 38 through 42, we get an amazing picture of what the Lectio Divina is all about. No, we don't. The Lectio Divina is not taught in Luke chapter 10. I hate to say it, but Charlie Broxton here is absolutely lying. So we're going to start there and then we're going to get in the practicality of what the Lectio is. Let's, let's just start reading here in 1038. And uh, Luke is about, I don't know, three-quarters of the way through the Bible, the New Testament, way to the right. What page in, in, the, in the main Bibles? Did somebody find them? 721. Luke 10, 38 through 42. All right, so here we go. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, so he's traveling, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Okay, so Martha... We're going to get a contrast here between Martha and another woman in a second. But Martha says Jesus is in town. It's probable they had a relationship before. Maybe not. Maybe this is the establishing. But Martha's like, I want Jesus in my home. She opens her home up to Jesus. And we go into 39. She, Martha, had a sister called Mary. Okay, so here we get the contrast. Mary sat at the feet, the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, this is where we get the contrast. Well, not the contrast quite yet. Okay, he's missing an important point here. She was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to 
Jesus. She was face to face with God in human flesh, and she was listening to him teach. Now, you and I do not have the, um, well, how, how do I put this? Uh, we do not have the privilege at the moment of sitting at the very feet of Jesus Christ in this way. But, notice that I use the word but, we do have the ability to sit and to listen to the words of Jesus. How? By opening up the Gospels and reading them or attending a church where you have a pastor who actually preaches the gospel Sunday after Sunday. Okay? So notice nowhere here in this text does it say that Mary was practicing the Lectio Divina. The only thing she was practicing was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let me read the text. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into his home. Or her, in, sorry, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay. Mary was not skimming through, looking for words or phrases to meditate on. Or using her imagination, she was using her listening skills to hear the teaching of the master. You and I have the same ability to hear the teaching of the master by opening up the gospels and reading them for understanding. How do you meditate on God's word? By reading it for both mind and heart to understand what God's word teaches and the implications of what his word teaches. Okay, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. This is not about the Lectio Divina, not one iota. We'll see about Martha in a second. But Mary says, I just want to sit, uh, Mary says, I just want to sit and listen to what Jesus has to say. And so she places herself at the feet of Jesus, which was the, the, the seat of, of, of a disciple and start saying, I want to hear what he has to say. And she just sits there, attentively, listening. She's got this posture of being committed and passionate and focused as if nothing else in the world mattered. And there's something you need to know about this. This was not the normal seat of a woman in ancient times. Okay? This sounds bad, but in ancient times, the woman should have been in the kitchen serving the men. It was very much a male-dominated culture. And so to hear that Mary was with the disciples in the common area living room, sitting at the feet of Jesus with all the rest of the men, probably no other women. Uh, notice, I just want to point this out, Jesus is serving Mary with his teaching. The original readers would have gone, what, what's going on here? Mary's not in her usual place. She's not in the kitchen. She's sitting. 
And what we learn from that is that Mary had this passion. She wanted to connect with Jesus and hear what Jesus had to say. And we get the contrast in 40. But, and this is a big but, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Does it sound like Christmas to you? I read that and I'm like, that's the Christmas season. But Charlie was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, by the Christmas cards that need to be made and sent out, by planning who's coming for Christmas and, and what we're going to have, and, and Christmas shopping, and ah, gosh, I don't know, we could sit around forever and talk about it. The baking, the gifts, Christmas uh, church activities. We get distracted like Martha. But then we got this contrast of Mary who's like, I don't really care. I don't care about what needs to be done. The most important person is sitting in my room right now, my living room, and I want to be with him. And I love this. Martha comes to Jesus and asks, this is verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? You can just hear it in her voice. Tell her to help me. Okay, I want to point something out. As he's doing a synopsis here, any evidence that Mary had, was practicing the fourfold ladder to heaven? No, not at all. How old is she? You know, it sounds like an argument between two seven-year-olds. Mom, he's not helping me. Tell him to help. And I love Jesus' response. Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. Loving rebuke coming. The Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things. Whoa, does that sound like the Christmas season? You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love that Mary gets rewarded for shirking the duties and sitting at Jesus' feet. She's chosen the one thing, and it's better And that one thing, that intimacy with me, the teaching of me, will not be taken away from her. I will not tell her to come in and help you because she has chosen what is far more valuable. Intimacy with Jesus and hearing and obeying his voice. That is a picture of the Lectio Divina. No, it's not. If you want to hear the voice of the Lord today, open your Bible read the Gospels, or have somebody read it to you, like your pastor or your husband. Sacred reading. She's intimately relating to Jesus, attentively listening to his voice. That's what the Lectio, the sacred reading, is all about. The Lectio is a... Actually, no, the Lectio Divina is not about really carefully hearing the Lord because you're just skimming the verses and waiting and assuming that the Holy Spirit, and that's the big thing, You're assuming that the Holy Spirit is going to cause words to pop out at you and that he's purposely causing those words to pop out at you because he's trying to speak to you through those words that are popping out. Just remember what happens when you assume. I know this is a Christian program, but I'm going to say it anyway. When you assume, you make an ASS out of you and me. And that's what you do with the Holy Spirit. 
Who are you to assume that just because you're practicing the Lectio Divina and skimming through the words and waiting for something to pop out at you, how could you, how, based on what are you, are you placing this assumption that the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you that way? Where in God's word does it say that he will speak to you by you skimming and waiting for words to pop out at you? Powerful discipline to intimately relate to God and to hear his voice. Uh, nowhere is this discipline taught in the scriptures. Bottom line about what this practice is all about. And we're going to get into the specific practice of it. But don't forget that it's about an intimate relationship with God who wants to have an intimate relationship with us. But it's about us putting ourselves in a place of receiving and listening and being loved. You know, what's funny is, is that Jesus Christ himself made it clear that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Lectio Divina, rather than having you feed on the Word of God comprehensively, turns God's Word into a means to an end so that you can have a spiritual experience or claim that God is talking to you. Listen carefully. This is an abuse of God's Word and not a proper use of it at all. And being attentive. The Lectio can be traced back to three men in history. So we have the picture of, of, of Mary... And then we, and I thought about doing the, why don't we have a Merry Christmas this year? M-A-R-Y Christmas? And then I went, I can't do that. That's just a little too over the line. That's like an, uh, it was like my jokes my dad would make, like the old bad puns, which I'm finding myself to start making now. Uh, and I noticed some people tapping their husbands. Uh, <laughs> three men, the left can be traced back to. The first guy was named, uh, called, his name was Anthony of the Desert. I wish I had a name like that, like Charlie of... I don't... Anthony, St. Anthony of the Desert, a desert mystic. I don't even know what it would be, Charlie of the office, that sounds exciting. Uh, Charlie of Aptos. But Anthony of the Desert, and this was all the way back in like two late 200s AD, Anthony came to this place where... He, he read Mark 10, 21, which said, go, Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and come follow me. And I, I love it that Anthony was just reading Mark 10, 21. He went, okay. Went and sold everything he had and went and followed Jesus out into the desert and established this community called the Desert Mothers and the Desert Fathers, in which people would come from all over to hear these guys and these men and women teach. They formed this monastic community. And we see the beginnings of the Lectio, this intimate connecting to God through his word and listening in Anthony. Then we got another guy in, uh, when was St. Benedict? St. Benedict. Okay, I'm going to point something out here. Notice, it doesn't have its root in the scripture. It has its roots in mystic monks. Not in the scripture. It's developing after the canon is closed. The apostles did not practice the Lectio Divina. But monks did. And this practice developed by mystic monks is being taught in Protestant churches as a spiritual discipline that we should be engaging in. Yet it's not, it doesn't have its roots in God's word. Charlie Broxton here has correctly pointed out that it's got its uh, roots in Antony, the Desert Fathers, St. Benedict. 
monks. It was around uh, 500 A.D. Oh, and we had a picture of, of, of Anthony of the desert. We have that, Philip? There's Anthony. Back in the 200s, they didn't have cameras, so they had to draw people. Um, then you got St. Benedict. This was St. Benedict in, in, in the late 400s, early 500s. And how, how, how long ago since Christ had been crucified and raised from the dead and the, and the apostles died out? So he's pointing us to a practice that developed when? Not, not because the apostles were practicing. This isn't in the Bible. You don't see it by the apostles. You don't see it practiced by Jesus. You don't see it practiced in the Old Testament by the minor prophets, by the major prophets, by King David, uh, by Abraham, by uh, Joshua, by Moses. This comes about again through monks keep in mind monks thought they were saving themselves through their monkery law not gospel they weren't going into the world and discipling the nations and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in jesus name they were excluding themselves from the world harshly treating their bodies in order to pay for their sins, even though Christ had paid for them, in order, to, uh, in order to experience God. Monks were doing the exact opposite thing of the thing that Christ called us to do. He did not call us to go and live in monasteries and seclude ourselves from the world. And yet, this is where the Lectio Divina has its roots, not in the Bible, but in monasticism. And Charlie here is not even blinking an eyelash about the fact uh, that this is not in the Bible and um, and that monks developed this. A.D., this guy went to school in Rome and became just disgusted with the city and the way the city was just caught up in these behaviors which weren't honoring to God. And so he became a monk. And his desire, most primal desire, was to hear from God and intimately connect to God. He became a monk, wrote the... And do you think that he did? Do you think that that uh, that he, Benedict was able to connect with God because he developed the Lectio Divina, which isn't even in the Bible? Rule of Saint Benedict and all the rule a rule in in monk uh, monast, monastic life that's the word I'm looking for was just something which governed your behavior. And the rule of Saint Benedict was defined by three things: prayer, work, and the Lectio Divina, praying the Bible. That was St. Benedict. And then you've got the third guy who actually articulated the Lectio. His name was, I don't even know how to fully pronounce it, Guijo or Guigo, not to be confused with the mobster Guido. But he was a monk too, Guijo too, and he wrote this book called The Monk's Ladder, in which he fully articulated the Lectio. Here's what he had to say. Listen carefully. The Monk's Ladder. This isn't in the Bible. It has its roots in monkery, in monasteries. And this Guido, Guigo guy, is um, he wrote about what's called the monk's ladder. Here we go. Listen carefully. Say in one of his writings, he equated the discipline of the lectio with a ladder, 
which is why we have a ladder over here. It's not because we forgot to move it. We'll talk about that in a second. Some of you are curious about that, probably. And so this guy, so Charlie has a ladder on stage to represent the four ladders, the four rungs in the ladder of the Lectio Divina. Listen carefully. One day, this is uh, Guigo writing, one day I was engaged in physical work with my hands, and I began to think about the spiritual tasks that we as humans have. While I was thinking, four spiritual steps came to mind. This is the ladder of the monastics by which they are lifted up from the earth into heaven. Listen carefully. This ladder lifts you up from earth to heaven. That's quite a ladder. Can you get one at the Home Depot? How, uh, can you get one at Lowe's? Or at your local Ace Hardware? I mean, a ladder that will take you all the way to heaven? That's impressive. There are only a few distinct steps, but the distance covered is beyond measure and belief since the lower part is fixed on the earth and its top passes through the clouds to lay bare the secrets of heaven. Really? And where in the Bible does it say, does it teach about this ladder that you can climb that will lay bare the secrets of heaven? Sounds like these guys want to uh, climb the ladder to heaven to uh, get a peek at what Luther called the Deus Nudus, the naked God. I don't think so. What he's saying is the Lectio is a way from us to move from the ordinary and mundane into the presence of God. Really? Seriously? You believe this monk? Where is this taught in the Bible? By the way, one way in which you can use humor, I am all for reductio ad absurdums when it comes to uh, dismantling bad teaching, doctrine, and practice, is this. If you know somebody who th seems to think that the Lectio Divina is a way that they can leave earth and ascend into heaven to lay bare the secrets of heaven, as this Guigo guy talks about in his book, The Monk's Ladder, um, real, real simple, ask somebody to do this. You put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Okay, now, so after putting your right foot in, your right foot out, and shaking it all about and doing the hokey pokey and turning yourself around, do you feel closer to God? And they go, well, uh, no. Hang on, we'll try it again. You put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you put your left foot in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. All right, so did, have you left Earth and ascended into heaven by doing that yet? And they're going, uh, that's, no. <sighs> try harder. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out, you put your right hand in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Do you feel closer to God yet? Are you hearing him communicating to you now after you've put your right foot, your left foot and your right hand in and shaking him all about? Do you feel closer to God yet? You put your left hand in, you put your left hand out, you put your left hand in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. All right, I mean, after putting your le right foot, left foot, right hand, left hand in and shaking him all about and doing the hokey pokey four times, do you feel closer to God yet? At this point, they're going to think that you're an absolute nut, and it's real simple. You just At this point, the punchline is this. God doesn't promise that you can ascend into heaven by doing the hokey pokey. 
neither does God promise or say that you can ascend into heaven and lay bare the secrets of God by climbing this four-ronged four ladder created by monks and going into heaven. It's as stupid as the hokey pokey and claiming that the hokey pokey is a spiritual discipline. It just sounds really churchy because monks came up with it. it sounds really Christianish because, well, you know, Christianish monks came up with the idea. But the hokey pokey doesn't get you to heaven and neither does Electio Divina. Sorry. Nowhere does God teach that. Intimacy with God. Hearing God's voice. And what we learned from Mary what we learned from Anthony of the desert, what we learned from St. Benedict and, and Guigo, is this. They all shared a passion for intimacy with God and a desire to hear his voice. And none of them were authorized to, quote, have an intimate relationship with God through the Lectio Divina. You can have a passion for something. It doesn't make you that thing. I can believe I'm a bowl of clam chowder soup. I can have a passion for clam chowder soup and want to lay bare the secrets of clam chowder soup. But I can't have an intimate relationship with clam chowder soup and become one with clam chowder soup because you understand what I'm saying. That's what the Lectio is all about. Some of you are like, well, how do you do it? Yeah, no wonder they're asking because it's not taught in the Bible. Let me tell you. But first, let me ask you this question. As you look at the life of Mary and you look at the life of these other three men, do you share that same kind of passion? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Antony, Benedict, or Guigo, are they um, in the Bible? Notice he's exegeting their lives as if they're biblical lives. Do you want to connect with God at a deeper level to have him change you in a way that you never thought possible? Do so really, if I do the Lectio Divina, I can connect with God in a way that I never thought possible. Where does it say that in the Bible? You want to hear his voice. I can't tell you how many times myself or somebody else has said, I just want to hear God's voice. I want okay, so where does it say in the Bible that I will hear God's voice if I practice the, quote, spiritual discipline of the Lectio Divina? I want to know what he wants me to do in this relationship or this next step of life. Is that something you're longing for right now? Even if I was, does the does the Bible promise that I can have that if I practice the Lectio Divina? Notice, law, this is something you have to do. And what's it doing? Just like the people claiming to have visions from Mary, it's taking your eyes off of Christ. The Lectio is a great discipline. So what does it look like? I'm going to have Amy McRae come up. Give Amy a hand. Where's she at? Woo! All right, so Amy is going to be you and I sitting in our nice, comfy, connect with God chair, okay? You got your stuff? All right. Okay, so she's in our connect with God chair because one of the first things we need to do if we are going to practice the Lectio and do this discipline is we need to find a time and place free from distractions. So we're going to pretend this is its own room, and there's a wall, like invisible wall, right here. So she can't see you, but you can see her. It's a one-way mirror. How's that? 
And some of you are like, okay, dude, you just lost me right there because there's never a time in my life free from distractions. Let me tell you this. I can relate with you. I, I woke up Thursday morning. I didn't know he was going to be here. My son, Jordan, you want to wave at everybody, Jordan? He doesn't like attention being drawn to him, but he's in the brown shirt back there. He, in the mornings, is always so awake. He loves early mornings. Now, something about me is I'm not a morning person, right, Jordan? You always come into my room in the morning, and what's daddy doing? Sleeping. And so he had a bad dream that night, and he was in our bed, and and I didn't know this. And I wake up at 6 o'clock, and I turn just a little bit to one side, and I open my eyes, and there's this cute little face just doing this. And at first I was like, ha! Oh my gosh, because you know, you wake up with someone staring at you, Jordan. Didn't I jump a little bit where I was a little scared? Wasn't I scared? I freaked me out, and then I went, oh, it's Jordan, and we cut a little bit. But, and I tried to wake up a little bit because daddy's not really good in the mornings. But that's like my life. I don't, you know, even in the morning, the first thing at 6 a.m., I don't have a place free from distraction. And so I've got to work to find it. That's part of the discipline for me. And let me tell you, me and discipline, we have a love-hate relationship. I'm streaky when it comes to discipline. I can do things for a period of time, and then I back off a little bit and go, oh my gosh, I've got to get back into this. And I'm trying to get more consistent. It's something that God, I really feel like, has called me to kind of go a little bit deeper with why I have a love-hate relationship with discipline. So the first part of it is finding a place. That was a Christmas ornament, a big one that just fell off the tree. (laughs) Sorry, that was a little friggy. Maybe it was a sign from God that you're teaching apostasy. You know, just saying. Here's the thing. Intimacy and relationships, whether they're human or with us and God, they take time. So we've got to carve out time and space for it. That's the first thing we do. Amy has done that. Second thing, we need to choose a passage to read. Now, a lot of you do this when you go to read the Bible. That, like, you know, For us, it's like that one time every six months where we're like, I should read the Bible. We open up the Bible and we go, Jeremiah, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. By the third verse, we're lost. And thinking about what comes next in life, why my boyfriend is doing the things he is, why my husband or wife is doing this. And we're thinking about what we're doing that night and that weekend. And the next thing you know, we've read like 10 verses, but we have no clue what we've read. Shoot, I have to go back and do it again. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 10 verses later, shoot, I've got to go back and do it again. You know, I wonder what he's going to do here because a lot of people who practice Lectio Divina, um, it's all about randomly picking a passage. I wonder if he's going to try to come up with a way of of getting some content in there and uh, making it less based on mysticism. Well, let's find out. Anybody can relate with that? One of the best things for us to do is to have like a regular reading plan, and we've got two of them in the back. One is the New Testament in a year. Okay, that's a, a 25% of the Bible, pretty doable. If you're feeling a little bit more adventurous, we've got the whole Bible in a year back there. And if you don't like paper or you're scared of it, you can go to oneyearbibleonline.com and get that plan. But what I do is I take my lectio readings out of the reading of the day and, 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 and read, I'll read, uh, the, I'll read the reading and then I'll kind of pick the passage I'm going to meditate on. We'll talk about that in a second. Choose the passage that you're going to read that morning. And then step one is simply this. Read, this is rung one. Read two to three times slowly, okay? Now, I'm Amy, 
back here. I'm going to get some feedback back here, aren't I? I'm aiming. Am I going to get feedback if I do this? Okay. It seems like it. But when we sit down to do this Lectio and we read the passage, and the example I wanted to use for me that I was doing the other day is Psalm 119. I was reading Psalm 119. 1 through 16 was the assigned passage, okay? And so I'm reading the passage. And what you want to do is you're climbing this rung to have greater intimacy with God, to enter into heaven in God's presence. You're going to climb it as you're reading. Did you hear that? You're climbing the rung so that you can enter into heaven into God's presence. You're climbing a ladder to heaven. I'm sorry, folks. This is, this is absolutely wrong. This is not what's taught in Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can climb a ladder to heaven. Reading two to three times slowly. That day I read Psalm 119, 1 through 16, two, three, four times. Just read it. You're letting it sink in. You're not reading for information. Um, Philip, do you have that quote from Jean Guyon? Did you hear that? You're not reading it for information. You're not reading it for information. Let me back up the tape. Listen carefully. I wanted to use for me that I was doing the other day is Psalm 119. I was reading Psalm 119, 1 through 16 was the assigned passage, okay? And so I'm reading the passage. And what you want to do is you're climbing this rung to have greater intimacy with God, to enter into heaven in God's presence. You're going to climb it as you're reading two to three times slowly. That day I read Psalm 119, 1 through 16, two, three, four times. Just read it. You're letting it sink in. You're not reading for information. Um, Philip, do you have that quote from Jean Guyon, Madame Guyon? She's another mystic and, and was into the Lectio. Here's what she had to say about this. She said, if you read quickly, it will benefit you little. We read in America for speed and information. You're not reading like that when you do the Lectio. You'll be like, uh, if you read quickly, you'll be like a B. That's supposed to be B-E-E, and that was my fault. So not a B, which is a verb, <laughs> sorry. You'll be like a bee that merely skims the surface of a flower. Instead, in this new way of reading with prayer, you must become as the bee who penetrates into the depths of the flower. So you're reading slowly, reflectively. If you're by yourself, read out loud. This is not taught in Scripture. He's quoting a mystic here. Okay? And then you go to rung number two. After you've done this for 5, 10, 15 minutes, however long you want to do it, you then want to take a portion of that passage and meditate on it. Look for what jumps out at you. Because there's going to be a, 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 a word or a phrase that God just goes, this is what I want you to focus on. For me, really, again, it's complete assumption on your part that this word or phrase is going to pop out because God wants you to see it. Where in the scriptures does it say that God wants you to read the Bible this way and that the Holy Spirit will speak to you this way? Where? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. It's about almost towards the middle of the Bible. It was verse 16 that, that jumped out at me. And verse 16 says this, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. That just, it captivated me. It convicted me. It drew me in. Because what I was thinking in my mind is, how many times do I neglect God's word? TV is more important. The internet's more important. The books I'm reading are more important. I'm a reading junkie. And I spend way more time reading other things than God's Word. And I didn't feel guilty about it. I was drawn into it like, wow, I want that to be my heart. So I started meditating. I climbed to the next rung of the ladder, ascending into God's presence. 
seriously, you, you, you ascended into God's presence. Don't you think that's the most arrogant claim you could ever possibly? How dare you say that you, by your own efforts and what you're doing, can ascend the ladder into God's presence? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can do any such thing. And I started meditating on delighting in his decrees and not neglecting his word. What would that look like for me? Pictures of it. I read the passage over and over, focusing on different words. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Some of you guys are like, you hear meditation and you check out. You're like, meditation, that sounds too new agey or Buddhist or Zen. I, like, I, I can't do Right, exactly. This is not from the Bible. Meditation. How many of you know how to worry? Okay. For those of you not raising your hands, we're going to do a message on lying in January. We'll t- <laughs> Sorry. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. All worry is, is negative meditation. What if? What if? What if this happened? You know, next thing you know, you're naked in front of 500 people and everyone's pointing and laughing at you because you've let your worry get away. Maybe I'm the only one that has that worry. That's what worry is. The ancients likened meditation to a cow quietly chewing on its cud. You're chewing on the passage. Getting all the-, uh, the ancients, but not those in the, not the apostles, not Jesus, just some ancients, monks, mystics. All the nutrients out of it, letting it soak into the very being of who you are. And when I walked away from this meditating part, you can see Amy meditating. I was like, I had this resolve to delight in God's word and to not neglect it. I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want. And that's when you move into step three, which is called um, oratio, which is prayer. You climb the next run, rung and moving towards greater intimacy with God to heaven. You start praying that passage. You turn what you've learned in meditation around. What's funny is I, I just want to see someone that walks in now and is like, what is he doing? He's on a ladder. This is weird. Okay, so you pray the passage. For me, what I did was I turned this around, and some people can journal. You see Amy journaling. I will journal it sometimes, or sometimes I'll just pray it. Where I, My prayer was simply this. Uh, it was a prayer of confession. God, I don't often delight in your, your decrees, and I do often neglect your word, and I'm sorry. And it wasn't like a guilt or shame beating myself up. It was a desire for something different, and that was the next thing, is saying, Lord, May your spirit bring about in me a delight of your word and that I wouldn't neglect it in my daily life. Please show me what that looks like. Show me, God, what that looks like. Because that's what I want. And you see, what happens is your prayer flows out of your meditation time. You've heard from God at this point in time. God spoke directly to me and he said, I want you to delight in my word and I want to give you the ability to never neglect it. And I was like, yes, I want that. And then I prayed that over my life. I would say God prayed it over my life. That's rung number three on the ladder. Rung number four, the final one then, or again, you're climbing up into heaven to be with God. You're climbing up into heaven to be with God. You are climbing up into heaven to be with God. Yet the scriptures don't teach that we can do that. Instead, it teaches us that God became flesh and dwelt among us 
Wow. The complete spiritual arrogance of this is, is breathtaking. It's to just rest and listen. This is the hardest one because you stop doing. And for 5, 10, 15 minutes, you just sit back and you rest in God's presence. There are certain times in deep relationships where you don't need words. Have you ever had that? I think of my sons sitting on my lap, just wanting to be with me. My wife and I resting in one another's arms, just quietly with each other. Friends sitting around a fire, words aren't necessary. That's what you're doing here at this point in time. And you're saying, Lord... Is he exegeting the scriptures and telling us what God's word tells us we can do? What else do you have for me? I'm just going to rest and listen and let you set the tone. I'm setting aside my dreams, my hopes, my... I mean, this sounds like a formula for hearing from the devil. I mean, how do you know you're hearing from God? How do you know you're not actually hearing from the prince of darkness himself or your own digestive tract basically saying that you need more blood sugars? Maybe if you have an orange, this experience will go away. Seriously. My desires. It's all about you, God. That's the Lectio. You've climbed the ladder. You've moved closer to the heart of God. You've heard from him. You have greater intimacy with him. Because remember, the Lectio is all about intimacy with God and hearing his voice. It's all about false intimacy. That is never, this, this is not a practice taught in the scriptures. This is a man-made ladder to heaven. And those man-made ladders to heaven, make sure that you have uh, your receipt because uh, they don't work. You might want to return them. It's a powerful discipline to intimately relate to God and hear his voice. Here's my challenge. I want to give what I'm calling the 220 challenge, okay? Two times this week for 20 minutes, minimum of 20 minutes. If you want to go longer, go longer. Practice the Lectio. Grab one of our Bible reading plans in the back, either the New Testament in a year or the Bible, whole Bible in a year. Find one online. You can just do a... Don't waste your time doing this. Open your Bible and actually read it for comprehension for 20 minutes and pray the Lord's Prayer at the end of it. Seriously. Search for a Bible reading plan online. They're all over the place. Two times, 20 minutes. Practice the Lectio. See what God does. We've got a... Why should I assume God's going to do anything if I practice the Lectio? How do you, I mean, that'd be like me assuming that if I were to strip down bare naked and uh, wave chicken feathers over my head and dance around oak trees, oak trees that God would uh, show up and, and do something. If, if, if I did that, I'm pretty sure that the only thing that would happen would be the angels would actually be pointing at me and laughing. You've got to carve out that time. This is an area where God is working on my heart. Last night or two nights ago as I was falling asleep, I just wrote down, I said, God, what does discipline in my spiritual life look like according to you? What does it look like? Because I'm not a regular guy and I'm not talking about bathroom habits. I'm talking about just, I like variety in my schedule. If I had to get up at the same time every morning and do the same thing every morning, do the same route to work and get the same, I would die. I need some regularity but not so much that I'm pigeonholed. And so I've had to learn what works for me with discipline with God. What is it for you? The 220 challenge, two times, 20 minutes. Practice the Lectio this week. There's a story, and Amy, actually, you can step down because you're probably 
ready to be away from people staring at you. Thank you, Amy, for her, uh, her time. It's a story about uh, an old preacher and a young man who lost his job, was losing his family, just kind of life was falling apart, and he goes to this old preacher for advice, and he ends up just pacing the floor. He's ranting and raving about how his life stinks and everything's falling apart. And he says to the old man, the old preacher, he says, you know what, I've asked God, and I've asked God for wisdom, and he hasn't answered me. I don't know what to do. And the old man, the old preacher, very quietly says something. And the young man whose life was falling apart couldn't hear, and he says, I can't hear you. What did you say? The old man repeated it really quietly. They were across the room from each other. And the young man started getting irritated because he's like, I can't hear what you're saying. Speak up, old man. And the old preacher said something again. Whisper. And he got right up in the old man's face, the old preacher's face. He's like, I can't hear you. Can you speak louder? They're face to face. At that point in time, the old preacher says it clear enough for the young man to hear it. He says, God sometimes speaks quietly, so we'll move closer to hear him. That's what the Lectio Divina is all about. Us moving closer to God, climbing the ladder. Yeah, that's a nice story that you told wasn't in the Bible, and um, nowhere in the Bible does it say that by practicing the Lectio Divina, we can climb the ladder and become closer to God. This is just arrogance into his presence to hear him and to have that intimate relationship with him. As I and Adrian, you and the band can come up, it's my prayer that we would be people of Psalm 119.16, that we would be people who delight in God's word and don't neglect it. And as we go into this time of worship, that's what I'm going to pray. And the funny thing is by practicing Lectio Divina, because you're not reading it for content, you are actually neglecting God's word and using it as a means to an end so that you can, quote, experience God and climb the ladder into heaven and uh, lay bare the secrets of heaven. Scripture doesn't say you can do that at all. It's uh, this. Oh, man. So you've got a Bible open in your hand and you're reading it and neglecting it at the same time and using it as a means to an end so that you can, quote, have an experience of intimacy with God that he doesn't promise that you can experience that way. Wow. You're here and a lot of this God and Jesus stuff is new to you. All it is, it's like one of the most complex and amazing things ever. But simply put, God stepped down into time and space in the person of Jesus and made it possible through his death, his life, death, and his resurrection that we could have a relationship. But we have to make a step of faith to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you took on my sin and you've opened the door for me to step into that relationship. And if that's something you want today, all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, come into my life and bring me into that relationship with God. And if you're there, I want to encourage you to do it. Come talk to me afterwards. We'll pray together. Genesis is about showing people that God wants to be in an intimate relationship with them. So whether you have that relationship and it just needs fostering, you don't have it and you want it, take that next step this morning. And let's be people of Psalm 119.16. Lord, we ask that we could be people who delight in your word and don't neglect it because... Cue sappy music. Because it's through your word and listening to your word that we come to know you in a way that we never could. May your spirit bring about intimacy between us and you, that we would pursue you with our hearts and our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. 
All right, so there it was, a, an entire sermon dedicated to the Lectio Divina. And you'll notice it's not grounded in God's Word. It is arrogantly assuming that you can climb the ladder into heaven and experience and hear from God that way. Abuses the Scriptures, uses the Bible as a means to an end. It, this is false intimacy. This is false piety. This is not even a, a biblical practice. And uh, this is not what God has called us to do. And unfortunately, this practice is all the rage right now. Uh, and there's light versions and there's heavy versions. Uh, this is kind of a popularized version of it. They all pretty much work off the same theme. But it doesn't have its grounding or basis in Scripture. It has its grounding and basis in monastic monkery. That should tell you something. Folks... Listen, stop, stop with this incessant need to, quote, experience things. Life isn't about experiences or chalking up experiences. And if you want to experience, if you really, if you want to experience God, it comes through the means that he's established, his word and his sacraments. And he's called us to real prayer, that engages the mind in the heart. You want to experience God? Go to church, uh, at a church where they preach the word and where they administer the Lord's Supper, preferably every Sunday. Those are the places where God has promised that you will experience him, where two or more are gathered in his name, went through the preaching and proclamation of his word, through the receiving uh, of the Lord's Supper. It sounds humble and ridiculous and, oh, it's so, so common and ordinary. Yet those are the places where God has promised to be. He hasn't promised to be in the Lectio Divina. He hasn't established this as a ladder that you can climb into heaven. In fact, <clears throat> here's the deal. The Lectio Divina has that ladder, that fourfold ladder, has a sticker on it. And it says, made in the Orient. It doesn't say, made in the scriptures, or made by God. This is man-made. You will not truly experience God this way. He has not promised that you can. Stick to his word. Stick to where he has promised to be. And the reality is, is that content always governs and guides experiences. Yes, there will be times when you will have great emotional experiences. And those need to come about as a result of great biblical Christ-centered content through the proclamation of Christ and him crucified for your sins and the mystery of Jesus Christ himself who is none other than God in human flesh come to earth to save sinners like you and like me. Those truths do evoke spiritual subjective feeling experiences. Let the content guide not this mindless stuff where you're not reading for content, where you're not reading for understanding. That's turning off your, the brain that God has given you, and I think, in a very real way, opens you up. It, that, that kind of mindless reading opens you up from spirits that are not from God, spirits that are opposed to God and really desire to deceive you and get your focus off of Christ. I hope that this, this um, Lectio Divina contemplative mysticism fad 
gets blows to the church quickly because it's not not of God. Its origin is somewhere else. It's not in the scripture. I don't trust it as far as I can throw it. Stick to where God has promised to be. You can't go wrong with that. Well, sadly, we are approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, and the only way that we are able to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you is through the generous contributions of our listeners. We are still looking for 700 people to join our Fighting for the Faith pirate Christian radio crew. You can do so by visiting fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. It is a mere $6.95 a month. And, of course, if you'd like to donate above and beyond that, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, well, I'd love to get your uh, your feedback. You can do so by emailing me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Again, that's talkback at, t- at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That is facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there again, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross penal substitution for your sins. Amen. Amen.